Hi, I'm Bill Holwick. If you've downloaded this, you probably know that Darker Projects is one of the premier producers of high-quality audio fiction on the Internet. But did you ever wonder what goes on behind the scenes? This podcast takes you inside the creative process with interviews from various cast and crew members. Find out interesting things you never knew. Welcome to Behind the Scenes at Darker Projects. Hi, I'm Ellie Hirschman. I'm the writer and producer of the He-Man parody series, hosted on DarkerProjects.com. And the masters of the universe! I am Adam, Prince of Eternia, a teenager with questionable fashion sense and a thing for pink skin-tight clothes. This is Cringer, my clinically depressed pet. Really cool stuff happens when I raise aloft my magic sword and say, By the power of Grayskull! personality problems with one heck of an electroshock treatment, and I became He-Man, with the greatest tan in the universe! Although there are internet rumors about all this, only three others know for sure. That sweet thing, Sorceress, Man-at-Arms, and perplexingly, Orko. Together we fight the deviant communist ways of the evil forces of Skeletor! I was a child of the 80s. That is, I was born and spent a good deal of time growing up in the 1980s. Well, trying to at least. I don't think I ever successfully achieved that. But uh, growing up in the 80s, there was a plethora of cartoons to pick from. That was, in my opinion, the golden age of cartoons. You had your, uh, your Transformers and GoBots, your Thundercats, Voltron, and for the girls, you had the Rainbow Bright, Gem, My Little Pony. For all-around entertainment and enjoyment, there was your Smurfs, your Snorks, and uh, Mask, G.I. Joe, of course. These were all wildly popular cartoons, all backed by a solid merchandising line, of course. But at least where I grew up in my school, amongst my friends, the king of all cartoons was He-Man Man. There was no debating that. It was the absolute coolest cartoon backed by the absolute coolest toy line. Um, any toy line which included a slime pit automatically was in a different uh, upper echelon than any other cartoon or toy line that was out there at the time. And growing up, you couldn't say a bad word about He-Man. He-Man was the best. He-Man, as a hero, was the absolute greatest because he was a moral uh, role model. He had strength of a thousand men. He could basically do anything. And at the end of the day, he was always going to win. Um, Skeletor and his bad guys were the clear bad guys. Skeletor could come up with whatever plan he wanted to. He-Man and his friends were going to beat them in the end. Mostly He-Man, but, you know, the other guys pitched in. 
So uh, I stumbled across a website called xentertainment.com. That's x-entertainment.com. Um, it's an extremely funny website, poking the fun of a lot of stuff from uh, my generation, mostly, you know, children of the 80s, entertainment of the 80s, what went on MTV, cartoons, commercials of the time, McDonald's promotions that made no sense, and a large chunk dedicated to making fun of He-Man. Now, making fun of He-Man is a, is a harsh way of putting it, but it's more of a snarky homage. They really enjoyed the show at the time. Looking back, they can't appreciate it the same way through the eyes of an untainted six-year-old who can believe wholeheartedly in a hero and is rescuing uh, and, and his superpowers, no matter how improbable they might be. And looking back and pointing out what was stupid about the show, but loving it just the same. Being able to watch an episode and point out all the, the horribly stupid things that all the characters say and do, and yet still watching the show over and over again to pick out these glitches. Now that's not obsession. That is dedication to making yourself laugh at things which you enjoy and still do enjoy. That's something I wanted to do. The, the way that the guys on X Entertainment reviewed He-Man episodes was to basically present the plot in its harshest form and show how stupid it was and then delve into it and basically expose all the stupid stuff about the, about the show and you know with, with loving care kind of like a, a, a clown surgeon basically ripping it apart but uh, making you laugh all the while so I got my inspiration from them and I wanted to write a He-Man parody script because I have a deep fear of being branded a fan fiction writer so I didn't want to write fan fiction. I wanted to write a script, which was a He-Man script, but was a parody of the He-Man genre. So basically, I picked up on the points which X Entertainment exploited. The improbable plots, the villains who either have deformities or just sound uh, like they've been gargling with glass. The ineptitude of man-at-arms and other people in the, in the uh, kingdom. And how everything would just fall apart if He-Man wasn't there basically uh, how He-Man was infallible. Anything that Skeletor could come up with, He-Man would just you know, knock it down with a punch or blow it into the river or uh, create a, a tornado with his sword or create glass out of sand in the desert. There was nothing he couldn't do and it became ridiculous, which was a perfect jumping off point for a parody. So I came up with... Well, I didn't have a script idea. I wasn't... This was early on. I, hadn't, I had only written one script, and that was, for, uh, that was for the Section 31 files on the Darker Project's website. Uh, I just came up with a bunch of ideas, and they were loosely tied together, but not really. I, I just had a couple of ideas fitting in with the plot of He-Man episodes as I knew them, write down what would be funny to see in the He-Man universe, something so improbable, uh, but yet fitting with the universe scheme that had been set up. And slowly these uh, ideas began to group together, clump together a bit, until I was able to write a, a script outline out of it. I, I, that actually surprised me, because I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. Uh, I just figured I'd scribble some funny ideas down and it would make me laugh and that would be the end of it. But when I actually came up with a script outline, I realized I could do it. Uh, I had been mixing some commercials for ocremix.com. Um, basically, they were running a jingles contest, and I submitted about 17 entries. I won second prize, which netted me a t-shirt. So I knew I had some basic production, uh, post-production skills. So I figured, what the heck, let's put the word out there. I'll try and cast my production here. If I get people to do my to, to fill the parts, great. If not, I'll do the parts that haven't been taken. Uh, I posted on the Darker Projects list, the Dream Realm list, and the VoiceActorsAlliance.com uh, list. 
and uh, responses came in, not a whole lot, but a, a bunch of them. I got auditions, I was able to pick and choose. Um, there were some I, were not, I was not happy with, so I just chose those myself. But I got a very talented uh, group of people, Ryan H. Nelson, who I assigned to Orco and Ram Man, um, Catherine Pride, otherwise known as Genesis Avalon on the AVA board, who did The Sorceress. Um, she had tried out for Tila, but she came off sounding more like the new 2002 series Tila. I wanted to really preserve the old series as much as I could. I wanted it to sound exactly like the old series, which I knew wasn't going to happen, but I figured I'd get as close as I could. And that would make it even funnier when they were saying these ridiculous things that I'd written down on paper. You know, um, the jokes about Adam's fuzzy underwear and ambiguous gay jokes, which were always prevalent in He-Man reviews. And uh, making fun of the fact that man-at-arms inventions never worked and, you know, were just basically filler for a half-hour episode. So I got Carl Puder, who I knew from the Darker Projects productions, as man-at-arms, and he does a decent job of uh, imitating that voice tone. Something I knew I'd never be able to pull off, so that kind of was a, an essential part for me to fill. And I'm um, blanking on the rest. Oh, Joseph Lovinguff as Battlecat, which is a very short part. I felt bad because I intended for Cringer and Battlecat to be the same actor, but to just... I, I didn't like what he had done for Cringer, and I really liked what Damon Sogamelli had done for Cringer, so I mixed and matched, and each of them had a small part, but they were good sports about the whole thing. Um, Tila ended up being MJ Cogburn, who I knew from the Dream Realm side, and uh, she hadn't even auditioned. I approached her and wanted to see if she could do it, and she pulled it off, I think, because she got hit, she hit the voice tone of the Tila in the original series, which was important to me. Because Tila is a pivotal character for making fun of Adam, because you can exploit the homosexual aspect, you can create heterosexual tension if you want to. You know, I'm not worried about continuity, so Adam will be gay one minute and not as straight the next. And uh, she also is the critique point for Adam and He-Man, pointing out their, their ina inadequacies, why He-Man's never around, when the problem happens, but only is there to clean up and chase Skeletor down after he's broken in or kidnapped or stolen something. So that was an important part to fill. And later she became Evelyn, which just basically involved her killing her throat every time she wanted to record. Um, Captain John Tatterzak from the Dream Realm list filled in a lot of essential parts, but they were all stuff that I had created. An, an announcer part in the first episode, uh, a Ventos character created in the second, which just underscored the fact that They'll do anything to preserve the most stupid uh, and meaningless characters or possessions, which in the end don't really much matter. And then in the third episode, he's going to be the King of the Shadow Beasts, which is kind of just a, a I don't know, a continuation of, of you know, throwing somebody into a, into a part I made up just to further the plot and make an important point. But the most important part, of course, to fill was He-Man and Adam. And I had heard in Mark, Mark Kalita... Hello, everyone. He-Man. We're glad you came. But where's Adam? Adam couldn't make it. He... he had a sudden aneurysm. Oh, so that was you we heard shouting, by the power of Grayskull. Uh, you could hear that. Uh, who I worked with many times in Darker Projects. I had heard in his voice a quality which was similar to the He-Man and Adam voice tone, and I knew I wanted to try and get him to do it if he would agree to. He's a very busy guy, but he agreed to do parts one through three, which amazed me because I didn't think he'd agree to do anything past part one, and I think he pulled it off quite well. So I mixed 
episode one all by myself. Uh, I had earlier in my pursuits on the internet to reclaim my youth and uh, wallow in nostalgia, as I said, I had collected a bunch of MP3 files from the original show, the music from the original show, which was a godsend for me. Um, it was the main theme and all sorts of character-related music, some, you know, tension-type music and stuff that was apparently released on a CD that was sold in Argentina about, uh, you know, the soundtrack of Masters of the Universe. And it was com- incomplete by a long shot. It didn't have any of the, the really cool battle music, the, uh, the evil music from Snake Mountain. I picked that up later. But it was enough to get a start with, and I definitely made good use of it, because my sister and I liked to reminisce about He-Man, and one of the things we always remembered was that the show was full of music. Throughout, you would hear the soundtrack in an undertone, and it was, it, you know, it was a sweeping, great soundtrack that would propel you through the episode, and it was exciting, and I knew I had to have that music running in the background. Uh, He-Man.org came in handy because there was a, um, what they called a theme, but it was basically a short three-second or five-second clip of music that would introduce each episode while they showed the title card and opening credits. And that was useful just to blend the, the, all the musics together in between scenes and just random searches I found, the transition sounds, the in-between scenes where you'd hear, He-Man! So that was floating around on the Internet. I found a couple of variations on that and used those to uh, splice the scenes together. I think it turned out decent. I was rushed for production because uh, we have one computer at home. My wife and I are big computer users, and I could not hog the computer for all that long. Post-production takes a heck of a long time, much longer than I expected. I have deep respect for Eric Busby and Chris Snyder, who do post-production on a constant basis. I don't know how they get through it without tearing their hair out, because there were times that I was just aligning and realigning clips and trying to match it up and trying to get a, a smooth pace. And eventually I just said good enough and moved on. And it shows in the original production that there are some rough spots. Uh, I did not have a, a sound effect of a crowd screaming, which I needed. So I had a crowd going, ooh, which I slowed down to try and get them, and I think I reversed it even, to try and get it to sound like they were screaming. But it just sounds like a digital awful mess. And uh, I got, you know, some critique from the, the fans on that, which was well-deserved because <laughs> I didn't quite put 100% effort into it. I did the best I could with the time I had. Overall, it came out humor-wise exactly as I wanted it to. I was in, I was thrilled listening to it the first time I created it, uh, when I'd finished creating it. I asked Eric Busby of Darker Projects if we could release, release it, on it on his, his site. site. And he took a look at the script and said, 100% go for it, yes because he apparently was a He-Man fan back in the day, or at least thought the script was funny enough to uh, be flown under the Darker Projects banner. Nowhere in the credits does it say, this is a Darker Projects production, because I wanted to keep it separate. It doesn't fall under the same category as Darker Projects, but I'm grateful for Eric, to Eric for uh, allowing me to post it and host all three episodes on darkerprojects.com. The performance I was most impressed with was that of Ryan H. Nelson. Ryan played, as I said before, the parts of Orko and Ram Man. Ram Man, he did a serviceable job, but Orko, Orko is an anomaly. For those who know the show, Orko is this little floating magician who provides most of the comic relief, although some of that is delegated to Ram Man, and, and Man at Arms' stupidity fills in nicely, too. But Orko is this floating magician who never gets things right. So Ryan played it pretty much straight from my first script. Uh, you know, I would given him some funny lines, and at some point I had uh, gotten gotten it so that Orko was killed off in a Kenny-like fashion in uh, South Park and uh, 
That was it for Orko in that episode. But he had a moral in the end, as most characters do. I'd put three morals because the morals in He-Man are the stupidest part, and that's the easiest to make fun of. So I made up these ridiculous morals, or amorals, or whatever they are. And uh, Ryan read through his, and he gave me two takes. One of them had a bit extra at the end, so I listened. And it's Orko going off about how they, how dare they kill him off in this episode. And now he, suddenly he's back on track doing a moral after he's been killed. And he, he just went wild. And he was, you know, cursing up the storm. But Ryan had done the courtesy of bleeping out the curses so that we could air it. But it was the funniest thing I had ever heard. And I knew that that was going to be the key to this He-Man being a success, the He-Man parable. Because... Orko is this little sweet troll that just floats around and does magic, but Ryan turned him into this foul-mouthed, cigar-smoking, lecherous uh, goon who made me laugh so much more than anything I had written. His ad-libs were so much funnier than anything I had written down on paper. And in episode two, he was a little freer with the character. He ad-libbed a little more, throwing a couple of uh, harsher words than I had written down for his Orko character, and I didn't mind. That was fine. And, uh, of course, did his rant at the end of episode two, just the same. And <laughs> went nuts, basically. And I'm hoping he can he can do as great a job in episode three, because I'll let you in on a secret. It is going to be the final one, unless I come up with a great idea or have a real, someone submit a really good script, which nobody submitted any He-Man scripts yet. So episode three is the planned last episode. So I'm hoping he, Ryan uh, takes us out with a bang at the end of the Episode 2, as well as episode 3, will be mixed by Chris Snyder, who is Doctor Project's chief post-production engineer. Chris is a god when it comes to uh, audio mixing. He's fantastic. He is blind, so he has a deeper appreciation of audio and uh, setting a stage through audio. And he, in fact, enjoyed He-Man in its day through an audio form only. So he is actually more committed than I am to creating an authentic-sounding He-Man production. I'm more concerned about uh, getting the laughs right and getting the character uh, character voices to sound right and sound more ridiculous saying my lines. But he was so meticulous as to recreate the filmation introduction sound at the beginning of every episode, I'd never thought to put it in there. It doesn't add anything to the comedy, but it adds to the authenticity of it. And the more authentic you get something sounding, the funnier it is when you hear a line that's totally incongruous with the original thing that you're, that you're spoofing. So Chris, I'm thankful that Chris has the time to do the mixing because he also is an incredibly busy guy um, mixing things not only for darker projects but for Colonial uh, Theater and for Big Finish Audio, who he works for. So to have him on board is, is really something I'm very grateful for. He gave a professional-sounding mix to it, there are a couple of things I would have done differently. I would have sped up the pace at certain points, and we, you know we have our differences. But in the end, he made a fantastic-sounding episode with my script as it was and his uh, production, flawless production. It made it that much uh, easier, I think, to, for people to get the jokes. They weren't focusing on my shortcomings as an audio producer. Um, they were able to enjoy episode two uh, all that more easily. So episode three is also going to be mixed by Chris, and I threw as many jokes as I could in there. I really jam-packed the whole thing like a like a freaking sausage. I packed it in there real tight. And I'm hoping that the pace can be quick and crisp, but even so, it's going to be over a half hour. This is going to be the longest one we've done. And uh, 
I really hope that it uh, works out. I hope that people enjoy it. And I hope we go out with a bang. And I'm sure that my actors uh, will put their all in. I've started to get lines already as of uh, today, uh, August 20th. The deadline is 10 days away, and then we start production, and I'm hoping to have the episode out by mid-September. And I will enjoy listening to it, and I hope everybody else will enjoy too. Listening to Behind the Scenes at Darker Projects. Featured in this episode was Ellie Hirschman. Post production was done by Bill Holwood. This series is produced by Ellie Hirschman. Executive producer for Darker Projects is Eric Busby. Theme music was composed by Oakman's Dreamland, used with permission, available for download at soundclick.com. This has been a Darker Projects production. For more audio and podcasts, be sure to visit www.darkerprojects.com.